0: Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to The Gospel House. Our mission here at The Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ.
1: Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Um, Guys, it's August already. Isn't that crazy? So with August comes uh, August 1st. We we hit August 1st. What was that? Tuesday? Wednesday? Something like that. Tuesday, I think. Um, So August 1st is the official two-year... Uh, birthday of the Gospel House, so yeah, Gospel House is two years old. Woot woot! Isn't that exciting? Um, so yes, that came and went, and um, nobody said anything. But there you go. Now now you know. What, no, yeah, yeah. Nobody. I don't know. We probably should get some Hobby Lobby signs to hang in the church or something, right? That's, that's what we should do. Don't worry, it's coming. It's coming. I promise. But uh, yes, it is August, uh, much to the chagrin of all students, uh, some teachers that I know of, um, and then uh, probably probably to the rejoicing of some parents, uh, summer is almost over. Uh, we are in our last hurrahs here, and as summer draws to a close, we start to draw to a close in this sermon series on the Beatitudes of Jesus. Uh, we've got a few more weeks left to go on this, uh, and I'm going to warn you, buckle up. Because the last ones, which are actually the ones that Jesus introduces first, uh, but these last ones are going to be heavy hitters, y'all. Uh, as, as I've been starting, so I typically in my sermon prep, uh, I really like dig down into one sermon to get ready for the week, but, but then I also try to be a couple weeks ahead so I kind of know where we're going. It's a, lot, it's a lot better, I guess, to preach. This, if, if I know where we're going, right, like kind of why when you drive, like when you're learning to drive, they tell you not to look like straight in front of your car. You're supposed to look down the road a little. And so uh, I, I, I have some general outlines of where we're going from here, and <laughs> I don't like them, y'all, <laughs> which means you're not going to like them, right? Uh, but that's the thing. Jan and I were talking a couple weeks ago, but that's the thing with these beatitudes, right? Uh, I've, I've told you guys this story before, but there's a, a British minister named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he makes reference to the Israelites while they're in Egypt, right? Moses comes and, and is going to deliver the, the Israelites out of Egypt, and so he tells Pharaoh, hey, let my God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, all right, you, you got enough time to complain. Well, from now on, all the chores you had to do— I'm going to make you do them, but it's going to be even harder. So the Israelites, they make these bricks, right? Probably to make the pyramids and stuff like that with. But they make these bricks, and Pharaoh says, you used to make the bricks, and I provided straw for you. Now you have to go and gather your own straw. So Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, using that analogy, says, I would far rather make bricks without straw than try to live the Sermon on the Mount in my own power. And I don't think we chase that enough, y'all. I think when we read our Bibles, there's too much of modern Christianity that reads our Bible and we walk away from these Beatitudes and think, yeah, I can do that. Y'all, if you read anything that Jesus tells you to do and think, yeah, I can do that, you missed it entirely. Can, can I just warn ya? you? You might want to go back and reread because when we get to these things, these Beatitudes, when we read these things, and Jesus says, blessed are dot, 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 these different things, there should be an element within us that is like, holy cow, God. Number one, I've missed it. Like, I don't do that. And number two, like, I can't do that. But right, but that's, that's what Christianity is. And I feel like that's what Christianity needs to get back to. Uh, you know, that's, that's why our message is so radical. You know, I don't, it's radical. It's biblical is what it is. You know, that's not radical. But, but that's what we're trying to do here is, is come back to a state of dependence on God. He's given us access to the Holy Spirit. And to me, y'all, it's just kind of goofy if I have access to the living God inside of me and I'm just kind of like, eh, I'm gonna do my own thing, right? Or to be like, eh, I'll, I'll come to him when I need him. Eh, I'll check in with him and see what he thinks about these plans. If I've got the living God inside of me, I want to do everything he tells me to do. I wanna surrender to him all moments and everything and let him guide my path. Maybe I'm crazy, but if, if God's saying, hey, Jeremy, I'll tell you exactly what to do, when to do it, where to do it, I'm, I'm cashing in on that. I, I want him to lead me like that. But to do that, I've got to check my ego at the door. I've got to check my ways and myself at the door, and I've got to realize there is a better way to do this. And as we get into these last couple of Beatitudes, we're going to hit on some things that really rub against our modern culture. Uh, and really rub against us in general. And actually, I I take that back. They don't rub against modern culture. They rub against culture, period. Uh, You know, there's, there's God's way and there's man's way. Ever since the fall, they rub against man's way. Because what Jesus says is radically different than what our flesh wants to do. And so these last ones are going to be heavy hitters, so I would encourage you, even if you have to miss a Sunday, make sure you follow up on the podcast or check in online, uh, because they are going to be really good ones. They're Jesus' teaching, so they're all really good, right? So today, uh, we turn our attention to blessed hunger and thirst for righteousness. But it was easier for the title just to say blessed hunger, so that's what you get, blessed hunger. So we hit on this every week. Every single beatitude is centered on Jesus, right? The entire Bible is centered on Jesus, right? He is our blessing. He is our aim. He is our purpose. That's why we end every single one of these sermons with that saying from from Puritan minister John Owen. My goal is God himself right? Jesus is God himself. We're all clear on that, right? The Holy Spirit is God himself. God is God himself. And so all of these beatitudes are pointing us to God himself. We talked about that last line in Matthew 5, the last verse. It says, therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's the goal, y'all. That's what God, that's what the Holy Spirit working inside of us is doing with our lives. Making us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And here's what's so crazy about this. This is this dependent stuff, y'all. If we stay dependent on the Holy Spirit, right? Paul in Galatians 5 says, walk by the Spirit. The, The Holy Spirit will never lead you into sin, right? So if I, from this day forward, only walk by the Spirit... I'll never sin again, right? But I've got to walk by the Spirit. I can't step out for even a moment, because as soon as I step out, I step right into Jeremy's ways. And Jeremy's ways are no-no. Even if Jeremy's ways are good ways, we're going to talk about this today, but even if my ways are good ways, there's, it's still no-no. And so we've got to stay plugged into the Spirit. And as we do so, as long as we stay plugged into Him, we can leave that life of sin behind us. I know that, you know, that's not a very popular teaching today. Today we like to pretend that Christians can't ever go without sinning because, you know, it's, it's more acceptable. Why would we tell people that they can't sin? You can tell people what you want, but the Bible says, 1 John says, if we sin, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ who will, will intercede for us on behalf of the Father. Not when we sin, but if we sin, Right? Therefore, it's possible to leave it behind, but we've got to stay plugged into the spirit. Does that mean that you'll never step out of the spirit? That's, that's the tricky part, right? Is that we have those moments where the flesh wants to grab the steering wheel and say, oh, hold on, Jesus, I got this. We've got to keep our hands off. And as we do so, we can be perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect, but he has to make us that way. We have to be completely dependent on him. So, as we get into these Beatitudes, these next couple of Beatitudes, we're going to see that they're rooted in something a little bit different than what we've looked at so far. And it starts with righteousness. It actually started with mercy, but it really starts to get into it with righteousness. When we talked about mercy last week, we talked about how mercy comes before repentance, right? And how that seems backwards to us. Like, it seems like you should have to say sorry first, and then you get mercy. But nowhere in Scripture is that what it says, Everywhere in scripture, even in the Old Testament, right? You guys know, I've, I've preached this enough at you, right? There is the gospel is in the Old Testament. You look in the Old Testament and you see glimpses of the gospel, arrows that are pointing to the gospel. And even in the Old Testament, when God calls his people back to him, when he calls his people to repentance, he never says, come to me and repent and I might forgive you. That's not what he says, is it? Everywhere, he says, come to me and repent because I am merciful. I am slow to anger and abounding in mercy. It's who he is. I have already forgiven you. But then today, we get into those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we see that in order to show that kind of mercy, that mercy has to be rooted because ultimately God's mercy is rooted, and it is rooted in a deep and desperate longing for righteousness. So we're back to repentance, right? Because that's what repentance is. Repentance is a call to righteousness, but it's rooted in so much deeper than that, and I'm going to steal my own thunder if I go much further. So to understand this better, we're going to look at three things today. First, we're going to look at the god-sized hole that exists in all of us. Then we are going to look up at how righteousness by itself isn't enough unless it's aimed properly. And then finally we are going to look at the god-sized answer to our god-sized problem. Good? Everybody's awake so far? Just give it 3 points. We'll lull you to sleep. Just kidding. First, the god-sized hole Some of you probably have heard this term before. This term has kind of taken on a life of its own uh, within Christian circles. There have been books written about it and stuff like that. But there is a man whose name is Blaise Pascal. Perhaps you have heard of him. Uh, If you hearken back to high school science and high school math, uh, Blaise Pascal was an educated man. Uh, He came up with a ton of different scientific principles and theories, a bunch of math you know, formulas. Uh, I'm I'm not even going to say what it was because I forgot. But he's got a bunch of scientific stuff. You can go home and research it, P-A-S-C-A-L. You can go home and Google it. It'll tell you everything that he's done with his life. But one thing that Pascal did, uh, he did not get the memo that we have today that in order to believe in science, you cannot believe in God. Isn't that funny how that's such a new thing that today science and God don't come together? That's, that's so interesting to me because my God created science. And so to understand science, I sure can get a whole lot further in understanding it if I understand who God is first, right? So God can step outside of science and can do things outside of science, but God's also the one that created all of these natural laws. So you got two sides of this because the world has started to be like oh we have science we don't need god well now you now the problem is you have christians who are like well we have god we don't need science would you both shut up because the answer is right in the middle god doesn't say hey ignore science he created science where in the world does god ever say hey ignore my creation ignore the things that i've done right look at science because y'all there's some pretty cool stuff out there When you look at science and when you look at how God created the universe, how these things go together, it it is unbelievable. And to me, it's absolute proof that there is an intelligent design behind everything. You cannot convince me, and sorry if I'm going to offend anybody, but you cannot convince me that all of this sprung up out of nothing. There's too much intelligence behind it. And so the two go hand in hand. Back then, a lot of these, you know, Educated people, the, the you know, the smart guys and all the stuff. Like they knew this. They they had deep faith. And their deep faith led them to research these things. And they came up with incredible things. Pascal was one of those guys. He had a deep faith. And so he wrote this essay that was actually a defense of Christianity. It was one of his one of his other things that, that he did. But he wrote it, and in that Pascal gives this explanation of this spiritual phenomena that exists. In human beings, that has it's come to be known as this God sized hole or this God sized vacuum. He never actually uses that term, but that's kind of what it explains. So, this is what he says He says, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace a hole. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those things that are. Though none can help him, since this infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Centuries before, one, one of the more prominent voices in the early church St. Augustine of Hippo said something quite similar. He said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. When we look at the Beatitudes and consider the aim of the Beatitudes that we've talked about each week, we see a very similar statement here from Jesus if we dig just below the surface. Because Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Jesus touches on one of our deepest longings as human beings, the need to be satisfied. There is a hunger and there is a thirst in every single one of us to be satisfied, to rest, right? whatever that is, to make enough money to where we can finally be satisfied, to learn enough, to be educated enough to where we can finally be satisfied. And we find it in all sorts of different ways, don't we? To do enough drugs to where we can finally be satisfied, to drink enough to where we can finally be satisfied. Whatever it is, It's a constant yearning for satisfaction, even if we're not sitting there thinking, oh, I just need more satisfaction, right? The Rolling Stones said it, right? (laughs) You sinners who listen to the Rolling Stones, (laughs) I caught you. I only knew it because I Google searched it. I never listened to such garbage. I'm just kidding, I did. But y'all, listen. This hunger and thirst, now, now, at church, we can be bad at this. Christian, We can be bad at this because we see these people longing for things, right? We see these people looking for sexual satisfaction in all sorts of different sexuality types. We see people looking, trying to change genders and all of this stuff, and we wag our finger at them. How dare you? But y'all, they're just like us because we are all looking for satisfaction. We are all longing to rest. To find out who we are. The problem is they don't see what's right in front of them because this hunger and this thirst was put in us by our Creator. This longing that we feel for satisfaction is not by chance, it is not an accident. This is not some evolutionary quirk that exists within us so that we can procreate mankind and push us forward to the future. It's not, y'all. It is a desperate longing that was put in us for God himself so that our hearts would yearn after our creator and find him and finally be fulfilled and rest. And ladies and gentlemen, until that hunger and thirst is for the right thing, we will always frustratingly find ourselves trying to fill that God-sized hole with things that just don't fit. This infinite abyss, as Pascal calls it. And y'all, just look around you. Look at the state of our world today. And it should break our hearts And really, it should cause us to extend more mercy than anything, right? Not more judgment, but more mercy. Because we look at the landscape and we see these people who are desperately longing to be satisfied, who are desperately longing to be filled. But the problem is we've wagged our fingers and we haven't shown them our merciful God who longs for righteousness in them who longed so much for righteousness in them that he gave his only son to make that righteousness. But I'm getting ahead of myself. One of the greatest examples that we have of this in the Bible is King Solomon. King Solomon had everything, didn't he? And he was so satisfied, wasn't he? No. If you go through and read the story of Solomon, Solomon was anything but satisfied. And one of the best examples that we have of this is turning to the book of Ecclesiastes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon himself writes about this. And all you need, all we need, because I don't have all day to preach on Ecclesiastes, but really all you need to know what Ecclesiastes is going to be about is the first two chapters. Because Solomon says, The words of the preacher, the son of King David, king in Jerusalem. Futility of futilities, says the preacher. Futility of futilities, all is futility. That kicks it off right there, right? In English class, you guys remember your teachers talking about thesis statements? Your thesis statement tells you what the entire paper is going to be about. Here's your thesis statement, y'all. And if you can't tell, Ecclesiastes is a real page turner. Because that's what Solomon does through the entire book of Ecclesiastes. He details his life for us and shows us, I tried it all, y'all. There is nothing I didn't have. I had riches. I had fame. I had wisdom. I had wives. 700 of them. He had everything, y'all. And he goes through and details this out in Ecclesiastes. Every single one of these things, all of the pleasure. He went through a season where he denied himself no pleasure. He chased everything that would bring him pleasure. He went through a season where he tried drinking over and over again, where he tried gaining more and more wisdom. And at the end of it, this introduction remains the same. Futility of futilities. All is futility with this frame of solomon we look to solomon's proverbs and we find this really interesting one from proverbs 27 verse 7 it says a satisfied person despises honey but to a hungry person any bitter thing is sweet this is one of those bible verses i've probably read you know 50 times and never really thought twice about it it's kind of one of those proverbs when you get into proverbs it's like a stick for a stone makes a poor man unhealthy. And it's like, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about, Solomon. He was probably drunk when he wrote that one. No, I'm just kidding. But it's, it's, it's hard to understand some of them, right? And so lots of times you get lost in the weeds in some of these things. But a couple years ago, my friend, Pastor Jared Motzinger brought this to me and, he, and, and kind of broke it down. It was like, do you think this means this? And it was like, whoa. And ever since then, I can't help but wonder if this isn't the reason why the church in the Western world stinks at everything it does. <laughs> because this is it. A satisfied person despises honey. And I'll break this down a little bit. In, in the Jewish culture, it, right, in the Hebrew culture, when you talk about honey, you're talking about God's provision, God's blessing, God's abundance, right? Over and over again, the Israelites are told that the promised land is going to be a land flowing with milk and honey, right? Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been to Israel. There is not milk and honey literally flowing through rivers in Israel, right? And there is no archaeological proof that there ever was milk and honey flowing through rivers in Israel. So it's not literal, but it's talking about being satisfied with God's blessing. Y'all, listen, this is this is. Bible 101, right? God 101. We know this, but do we know it? Because is anything that you have from you? It's not, right? It is all from God. We know this. We say it at our bedtime prayers, if we're good, right? God, thank you for all the things that I have, because all things come from you, right? We say it, but we are so absolutely awful at living like it. Awful. Human beings are wretched things, aren't we? Because as soon as we find ourselves satisfied, what happens? We despise it, don't we? We don't look at it as blessings anymore. Anybody who has kids know this. You make your kids do dinnertime prayers, right? We have to tell our kids all the time, slow down, right? Because all they want to do is eat. Lord Jesus, thank you for the food. Thank you for the day. Bless our missionaries. Bless, our, bless the gospel. House help it to grow in peace and wisdom. Like, you know, flying through all these prayers. Slow down. Think about what you're praying. Be thankful for what you have, right? And I yell at my kids, and then when I get ready to go to bed at night, <laughs> I do the exact same thing, right? Because that's what we do. When we're satisfied, we despise. The blessings of god we think that there's something in our hands that created what we have that there's something that we did to earn this blessing and we know this because when god starts to take it away what do we start to do well, that's not fair lord right we throw our temper tantrums we see this in the church today y'all Because what is the one thing the American church does not want any part of? Suffering, persecution, pain. We don't want anything to do with it. But what is the one thing that happens when we lean into it, y'all? What's Proverbs say? Any bitter thing becomes sweet. Because when we lean into the bitter, right? When we lean into it, we become thankful. Isn't that crazy that that's what God does? As he pulls things away from you, as he takes things away, as you start to go through pain and suffering and persecution, that you actually become thankful for more things if your aim is right? How in the world does that happen? But that's what God does. It's exactly what God does. Because we lean into it into this. Bitterness in life comes, and the fact that we refuse to embrace it really shows where we're getting our satisfaction. It shows us where we're investing our time and effort in this world. Because if we're living for God's kingdom, when bitterness comes... We see everything as sweet. We can live for his kingdom and we can let the things of this world fade. But when we're living for this kingdom, when he starts to pull away the things that we love, we start grabbing back at it, don't we? Speaking of walking in the spirit, right? When I'm walking in the spirit and God starts pulling things away from me, isn't it funny how I'm now I'm just telling on myself here this I'm not putting this on any of you, but isn't it funny? I'm walking in the spirit and God starts pulling things away, and I automatically think, Oh, something's wrong, something's wrong. I'm walking in the spirit, but things are going away. I'm losing friendships, I'm losing things, I'm losing, I'm, I, I can't go on vacation, like I'm losing stuff. I, I, God, I better take control. You don't know what you're doing, right? but is the Spirit ever going to lead me down a path that I'm not supposed to go? That He didn't plan for me? So when those things start going away, instead of hiding from them and running from them, why not lean into them and say, all right, Lord, if this is from your hand, if this is something you don't want me to have right now, then I lay it down, right? There's a there's a part I think it's in Exodus where Moses lays down his staff. He's told to lay down his staff, but like his staff is like the symbol of leadership, right? This is like what he parted the Red Sea with. You know what he's doing all these miracles and God tells him lay it down. And when I tell you pick it back up. And I think that's part of our problem. Because Moses laid his staff down, y'all, and he didn't pick it back up until God told him to. We have blessings in this life. And there's sometimes God says, lay it down, and when I tell you, you can pick it back up again. And there's sometimes he doesn't tell us to pick it back up because it's something that you were never meant to carry. But there's sometimes he does say, okay, pick it back up because God wants to see, am I your number one priority, right? How many examples do you want me to give on this? (laughs) I mean, it's all through scripture, right? Abraham and Isaac, like you, you name it, right? Lay it down. And I will tell you if I want you to pick it back up again. This isn't in my notes, so this is for somebody here, y'all. <laughs> God's saying, lay it down. And when I tell you, pick it back up again. If I tell you, pick it back up again. There's some things that we need to let go of because they're getting in your way with God. Where am I? Your hole in your soul cannot be satisfied. With anything that this world has to offer. That's why it's referred to as this God sized hole, this vacuum. This is also why the psalm writers here's your Hobby Lobby shot, y'all. We, look, listen, y'all. Hobby Lobby favorite right here, right? Hang it on your walls so you don't have to live it. And listen. Y'all, some of the, the O'Connors were over for the new members' dinner, and Ryan said, I'm, I'm actually surprised at the abundance of Hobby Lobby signs that you actually have on your wall. Um, because as much as I rag on it, we do have a ton of Hobby Lobby signs. I'm not against Hobby Lobby signs. I'm against the fact that so many times we put stuff on our walls. They used to say this in like leadership training. like, like They always used to say, never put your core values up on the wall. Because as soon as you put them up on the wall, people stop doing them. Because it's like, well, it's on the wall. We don't have to do it. But we do the same thing with the Bible, don't we? You hang up a Hobby Lobby sign, and if you didn't get it from Hobby Lobby, wherever you got it, Etsy, you had somebody hand letter it on Etsy. Maybe I'll start taking shots at them. (laughs) But as soon as you hang it up on the wall, we forget to live it out, don't we? Do we live this? As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? We sing the hymn, don't we? We hang the signs, but do we live it? One of my favorites is in Psalm 73. In verse 25, it says this Whom do I have in heaven but you? And with you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do we truly hunger and thirst for God? Or are we satisfied with the things of this world? The trinkets and toys, the entertainment and the vacations, the shiny distractions that this world throws at us and convinces us that we need, right? Because that's the problem. It's not, just, it's not just that, oh, well, these are nice things. The world doesn't tell you that they're nice things. The world tells you you need this. I get very annoyed because there is a bakery I'm not going to name any names, but there is a bakery in our town that sometimes my wife frequents for the kids. She'll bring donuts here to the gospel house every once in a while, but it always says, I'll show you how twisted my mind is, on, on the box it says, you deserve a donut, and every time I walk in and I see that, I say to myself, no, you deserve eternal damnation, that's what I think about myself, right? Because outside of Jesus Christ, that's all I deserve. But I sure as heck don't deserve a donut, right? But listen, y'all, and it, that's, it's silly, right? I don't care. I'm not going to boycott, boycott the bakery, right? No, it's ridiculous. But it shows us this world, doesn't it? Because that's how marketing works. Go buy a Lexus. You deserve it. Your neighbor has one, Right? Buy that house with, you know, 17 rooms and the white picket fence. You can't afford it, but you deserve it, right? This world is programmed. The enemy has programmed this world to work this way, y'all. And we've got to be so mindful of that because if we aren't, it will pull us into that trap it sucks us in and we get pulled into this God-sized vacuum where we try filling it with all of these things and we wonder why we can't sleep at night and we wonder why we have no peace and we wonder why we're going to bed and praying for the peace that passes all understanding but yet we still feel empty because we're filling ourselves with things other than God. And God's saying, I am am enough. Our hunger has to be rooted because God's hunger is rooted, right? And here's the sneaky thing about this. We have to dig into this because righteousness by itself is not enough. We know this, right? Gospel 101. Righteousness isn't enough. It's not good enough. It has to be more than just righteousness. And this is where we talk about the aim of our righteousness, the aim of our hunger and thirst. We see this in Jesus' encounters with the Pharisees. He talks about it in this very same chapter. After he gets done giving us these beatitudes, in the same chapter in Matthew 5, this is what Jesus says. For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Y'all, on paper, the scribes and the Pharisees were the most righteous people there were, right? They were the bee's knees when it came to righteousness. The problem is the Pharisees knew that, didn't they? And that made their righteousness self-righteousness. Any of you ever smelled self-righteousness? It smells like dirty socks, doesn't it? I'm just kidding. That was a proverbial dirty socks. I don't know. But it stinks, doesn't it? Y'all, this is why nobody likes Pharisees, right? Anytime you start talking about the Pharisees, everybody, you, you all know, I mean, anytime I say Pharisee, you know that person, right? There's somebody that pops in your head right away. Oh, yep, that Pharisee, Joe, he's the Pharisee. Are any Joes watching, I apologize. That was just the name I picked. But right, we all know the Pharisees and you hate it, right? Of course God hates self-righteousness. So do we. And every time somebody comes along who's self-righteous, we absolutely hate it. But how often have you turned that microscope back on yourself to see if there are areas in which you're walking that you walk in self-righteousness? We are very, very slow to do that, aren't we? so quick to do it when it's somebody else. But God, throughout Scripture, vehemently condemns self-righteousness. And we know this because it's the antithesis to the gospel. He says this, this great gospel passage, we've talked about it before, Isaiah 64, 6. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment and all of us wither like a leaf, and our wrongdoings like the wind take us away. Y'all, if your righteous deeds are rooted in yourself, if your righteousness is rooted in yourself, you have missed the entire gospel. You have missed the entire point of the Bible. Almost as bad, or I know equally as bad, just as bad, As being forgiven a debt you could never repay by your Lord and Savior and refusing to extend that mercy to someone else. That's what we talked about last week, right? And what do we say? Jesus says, if you refuse to forgive, my Father will refuse to forgive you. So guys, if we get into this, and if our righteousness isn't rooted in God, It's rooted in ourselves, in my performance, in what I do, and we've missed the gospel entirely. What did we learn? If you miss the gospel, what happens? What's Jesus say? If your righteousness doesn't far surpass that of the Pharisees, you're not even going to get in. You see how much God condemns this self-righteousness? You can't get in because you don't understand it. You don't know the gospel. You don't see how you've been forgiven. You don't see why you have been forgiven. You sing songs about it. You hang signs up about it. But do you know, do you live the gospel in everything you do? Because the gospel is the God-sized answer. Praise be to God that this God-sized hole that exists in every single one of us, He provided the God-sized answer that perfectly fits that hole. What's the song say? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Right? We sing it. Now, if you're old school, you sing, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Right? If you're new school and you like the Hillsong, right, you sing it a different way. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but, right? We've got different versions, but you sing it like you sing it, right? Do you live it? Do you know that your hope is built on nothing less than the very righteousness of Jesus Christ? not your righteousness not anything you could do but everything that Jesus did Paul opens the book of Romans with this in Romans 1:16 to 17 he says for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the jew first and also to the greek for in it the righteousness of god is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous one will live by faith. This is the good news. This is the gospel. God revealing his righteousness to the world through his son, Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. And when Jesus came, right, isn't this incredible? I mean, y'all get excited about this because we have this God-sized hole that exists in us and that hole could only be filled, right? This infinite abyss could only be filled by an infinite and immutable God. And so what was God's answer in the gospel? That God himself put on flesh, our infinite and immutable God for a moment became finite. Jesus Christ bound in time, came down to earth, became mortal for the very purpose that man could kill him so that he could then again become infinite again. Right? That's the gospel. You have an infinite abyss inside of you. And Jesus Christ came to this earth with the sole purpose to fill that infinite void. It is the only thing that could ever fill that void for all of eternity. And God gladly paid that price so that he could be with you for all of eternity. Jesus Christ is God's answer. But it doesn't stop there, right? Because it's not just that God is, that Jesus is the righteousness of God. Because that still leaves a problem, doesn't it? What about our righteousness? Jesus Christ came to earth, but through His death and resurrection, and now the infilling of the Holy Spirit in us, He has imparted His righteousness to us. He has given His righteousness as a free gift to anyone who will call on His name. Jesus has filled the void inside of you, all on His own. And all you had to do was believe. All you had to do was proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And what's Paul tell us? And you will be saved. That's it. Jesus made the way. Jesus is the answer to that desperate longing in every one of us. That's why Jesus is the one who says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry. And the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the God-sized answer. Jesus Christ and Jesus alone is our only righteousness. And y'all, some of you have been there. Others of you are still walking the road. And I'm just gonna warn you, I don't feel like this is a road we ever get to the end of while we're on this earth, right? Because I love to think to myself, I've learned my lesson. God, you've stripped away everything that could possibly be stripped away. I'm good. You never have to take anything away from me ever again. And God says, Jeremy, you're such an idiot. (laughs) Right? Because then he just keeps on taking. Right? And we go through seasons of this. Different seasons where God pulls things back and different seasons where God blesses, but then he pulls back. And it always shows a heart issue in me. I don't know about you, but it shows a heart issue in me. Because it's constantly, Jeremy, you're getting too attached to the blessings. Right? And this is the problem with this prosperity gospel. Because it teaches us to look forward to the blessing and not the blesser. It teaches us to chase after the things that God can give us and not God himself. And we see that when tragedy hits. Because the temptation is to walk away. Well, if God's not going to bless me, what am I doing this for? You missed it. You missed it entirely. But everything else, y'all, everything else will leave us unsatisfied. We've all been there, right? Tried to fill our whole hole, tried to fill our lives with all of these other things. And we we end up in the same place every time, don't we? Completely unsatisfied, going to bed at night lonely, broken. And the whole time God says, Jeremy, your way's broken. Would you just turn to me and let me fix it? And if I humble myself, that's exactly what I do. But it takes humility. I am very curious. What would happen in my life if I got rid of everything that has the potential to satisfy me outside of God? If I prayed that bold prayer, God, strip everything away until all I have is you. That's a scary prayer, isn't it? Because there are things that I have in my life right now that I know for a fact, I would pray, strip everything away except that, God. Don't touch that. Don't touch my family. Keep them all safe, right? Don't touch my church. I love my church. Don't touch these things, but everything else, God, strip it away until you're all I have left. How different would my life look? If I let God be the only one who can satisfy my soul. The deepest longings and desires of my heart. If I could join with these psalmists and say in complete honesty that my soul longs after God like a deer pants for water. That I desire nothing in heaven but God. You can throw away the mansions. You can throw away the crowns. You can throw away the endless, all-you-can-eat ice cream bars. All I want when I get to heaven is you, Jesus. Right? I'm not going to be looking down at holes in the clouds to see my loved ones and make sure they're doing okay. Forget it. All I want is you, Jesus. And I am going to be at his feet. Some of you guys know this story, but I've told Jana this. When you get to heaven, don't come looking for me. I'm not going to be up there sitting on a park bench waiting for you. I'm not. I don't care. If, oh, that's not very romantic. I don't give a rip. I am going to be at the feet of Jesus. And doggone it, if you want to talk to me, you're going to have to pull my face away from him. And even then, I probably won't give you two cents. That's all I care about, y'all. And I think we would be in a better position if we stopped making heaven such a sentimental place. Right? It is sentimental, but it's sentimental towards one person. And that's God. And when we realize how great he truly is, how holy, how just, how merciful, how perfect he is, it becomes a lot easier to grasp that for all of eternity, we will be laying at his feet and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. For all of eternity. Can I tell you... I'm going to tell on myself. When I used to, when Jan and I first started going to church, I was, it, it's funny because I turned into a worship leader. Uh, I used to hate worship, um, especially expressive worship. I just never got it. Like, I grew up Methodist, so there wasn't a lot of, like, hand raising and stuff. And so it was kind of like, what are these weirdos doing? Like, I never really got it. And so, like, you know, all these people would be, like, jumping around, raising, raising their hands. And I was always like, this is goofy. But I remember thinking to myself, I'd read Revelation I'd be like, man, alive, this is going to get so boring. Like, all of eternity, we're just going to be singing this song, and it's the same song every time to God over and over again. Like, there's got to be more to it. Like, maybe I can, like, have a job or something, or can I do something else, right? But, but the reality was that was a me problem because I didn't know who God was back then. But as I learned who he is, as I studied about him more, as I got into his word, as the Holy Spirit opened my heart and revealed how good and holy and perfect God is, all of a sudden, eternity's not long enough, right? All of a sudden, that's all I want to do. And now I can stand up here and say jerkish comments like I'm not even going to pay attention to my wife and kids when they get to heaven, right? (laughs) But it's true because all I want is Jesus. But this walk with God is funny because, you know, look, Jeremy's made it. He's there. (laughs) Oh, heavens, if you only knew. (laughs) There's still so much more that distracts, right? Which is why I must stay dependent on the Holy Spirit. I want to get to the point, y'all, where I can say this earth holds nothing for me. There is nothing on this earth that I desire. Right? We probably should have taken communion this week. We took it last week, but it would have been really good to take this week. <laughs> Missed time to that one. Whoops, guess I wasn't listening to the Spirit. Just kidding. Maybe somebody needed it last week more than this week. But y'all, you know, this is what, that's what communion symbolizes, right? This, this breaking of Jesus' body, the bread, and the drinking of the cup that represents his blood. Jesus tells us that is the only thing that will ever be able to satisfy us. We have this longing that God has put into us. This longing that can only be filled by Jesus. And until our souls rest in him, we will remain restless for the rest of our lives. Right into eternity, y'all, if we stay restless long enough. Right? This is our challenge this week, church. This is your mission, should you choose to accept it. If you are brave enough to invite the Holy Spirit to do some painful digging, because let's be honest, it will hurt, won't it? It's not fun when God tells you to give things up. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that that's a joyous occasion. It hurts. It hurts to have friends betray you. It hurts to to walk out on relationships. Those things hurt. But this is our mission this week. Seek out and find the sources of your satisfaction. And anything that isn't Jesus, lay it down. And wait for him to tell you if you need to pick it back up again. Let's find what it means to truly hunger and thirst for righteousness, knowing that that righteousness can only be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And if our hope is found to be in anything else other than the righteousness of Jesus Christ, let's surrender to the Holy Spirit and let him get us back on the right path. As a body, let's boldly declare together this entire week, y'all, I challenge you declare this every morning you get up, every night before you go to bed, throughout the day, my goal is God himself at any cost, dear Lord, by any road. And may we have such a hunger and thirst for him that we would be willing to give up everything to let Jesus Christ satisfy us with himself, the bread of life and the fountain of living water. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, connect, fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.